Hello, this is the DMD. Let us tell you about our Teespring store. We have loads of awesome logo wear for you to purchase and show your support for the DMD. Your purchases help the podcast out a lot. It provides us with funds necessary to keep the podcast running, and it puts our brand out there so others can discover our podcast as well. Additionally, and while I cannot confirm this myself, I have been told that wearing DMD logo wear will grant a plus two bonus to your charisma. Head on over to our Teespring store at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash the Dungeon Masters Dojo and get yourself some DMD swag. Let your friends and everyone else know you're a student at the Dojo. As a thank you to our listeners, we're offering a 15% discount on all items in our shop from now until the end of January. Just use code DDMD, all caps, all one word. Thanks for listening. Remember the good old days, Bill? Yeah, we wrote our numbers on the character sheets. In pencil, and we didn't complain. Basements were furnished. Cold and damp, but we didn't complain. We rolled dice uphill both ways. Those were the days. It's Dungeons and Dragons living the history of the greatest RPGs of all time this week on the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is by buying the DMD a beer so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the DMD and buy us a beer or three or five. Don't forget to say something nice or mean. We don't care. You're buying us a beer. Now on to this week's episode. Hello. And welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Aponte, and these are your Dungeon Masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. Hey Scott, hey Bill, and our special guest, David Weil. Hey, how you doing? Not bad. How's everybody doing? I'm amped. We have a special guest. Yes, we do. I'm special. <laughs> we call Scott special very often as well. Yeah. Not a compliment either <laughs> from what I gather. <laughs> All right. So let's get right into it. Yeah. So Dave has been gracious enough to come to us from uh, Retro RPG Reviews over on YouTube. Um, one of my favorite channels. I watch it uh, religiously at least two or three times a week. You can find Dave over at YouTube at Retro RPG Reviews. So go ahead and uh, check him out there. All about old school D&D and some of the OSR stuff. The stuff we miss. Yeah, the the Moldvay Cook clones and all that all that good stuff. So... So check that out. That'll help you. Uh, that'll help you decide what uh, what OSR stuff you want to get into, and uh, you may want to check out some of those uh, those old school modules and and rules too. 
They were, they were clunky, really but good. Giving an analysis of the uh, modules too. So it's not just a review because they're 40 year old modules. What can you say? I like to do like a, a fun analysis uh, on it and maybe give some DM tips on some of the pitfalls of the modules because I've pretty much ran everything that I review so I can tell you where I messed up and hopefully you won't mess up as well. Useful information. Very. So we'll, we'll get started. We'll jump right into this and we're going to start off with a, we'll talk about the old days, the satanic panic days. Yeah. Um, some of my favorites. Favorite 60, days. 60 Minutes did a piece on that. I believe it was 60 Minutes. Yeah, I think it was. And my, I know my parents were upset, and so was my, so was my Roman Catholic grandma, uh, who was a devout churchgoer. My parents didn't know I played for a long time; kept it secret. Uh, my parents knew right from the get-go, and I was hauled into the rectory at the uh, church a couple times uh, to be questioned by the priest. I was fortunate. My my grandparents. I live with my grandparents. They didn't care. They kind of just rolled their eyes at the uh, news report when it came on, and I, I recall that very vividly because that was really the first time in my life that I really looked at the press and I said, boy, those guys are just liars. I think the whole thing was initially based on one kid that committed suicide, and he played Dungeons and Dragons an awful lot, and that kind of spearheaded it. It turned out he had uh, some mental issues. He was being, I believe, bullied in school, and there was a lot of other things, but the parents didn't or whoever he was living with, didn't want to take responsibility. And all of a sudden, it's, well, it's because he's playing this demon-involved you know, involved game, and, and all of a sudden the media grabbed hold of that and ran rampant with it. And that's where it started. Then all of a sudden, these other things, and, oh, well, these kids are doing this, and these kids are doing this, and these kids are doing it. It must be because of this game. And that's what kind of started it off. And next thing you know, it, it became a, there was a, a, a stigma associated with the fact that you played the game. Yeah, I think Rona Jaffe... I think that was the the author. She did Mazes and Monsters, and it was loosely based off of that that uh, that kid that committed suicide. And Tom Hanks was in the movie, which was a little cringy. I recently watched the movie. Did you? Yeah, and I was like, wow. A Tom Hanks was really young, and B it was just kind of an awkward, kind of weird movie. So Dave, I mean, obviously, you know, some of us have run into issues. You did not. Uh, did you have any of your friends that say, well, gee, I, I can't come over because uh, ma, you know, mom found out I played D&D or anything like that? Well, not at all, actually. So um, we even had a Dungeons & Dragons club at high school, and I remember going up to the teacher because you had to get a teacher to sponsor you so you could open up a club. And I vividly remember going up there, and the teacher was like, uh, is that devil worship? And we're like, no. And then you're like, okay. And that was about the end of it. I mean, basically, that was what happened. You would, have, you know, when they said that was devil worship, I was like, yeah, that's stupid. It's not true. And they're like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm envious. For me. I'm I, envious, too. I am envious, man, because I, I was grilled repeatedly by my parents wow. and my grandparents. And like I said, I multiple times got hauled into the rectory at, at the church. And my mom would, you know, oh, don't you dare tell anybody you played that game, you know, at the church because she was very, very involved in church. The whole family was, and uh, oh, for God forbid, if I even mentioned I played the game, she was mortified. Yeah, I went to a Catholic school, so you know how that ended up. <laughs> we didn't have a D and D club at the Catholic school. <laughs> they weren't letting that fly. Yeah. No. Where did you where did you play back then? Did were were uh 
were your games in the basement or they were absolutely in the basement absolutely in my in my grandparents basement and in fact they are in the exact same basement today because when my mom passed i bought my house uh from from the estate and so i have a very nice game room there's a video of it on my channel and that is the exact basement that I played in when I was a kid. So it's kind of weird. That's a lot of good energy down there. There you go. Yep. And in fact, the uh, person that introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons was a friend of mine that had been living across the street from me since I was five years old. And we were walking to school together almost every single day. And he was telling me and regaling me stories about things that they were doing. It turns out they were playing keep on the borderlands and I actually went over his house and started playing, and that's that. I think I was fourteen years old at the time. When when did you start? What, what year do you recall? Nineteen eighty one. There you go. That's respectable. Yeah, around the same time I did. Yep, and I remember I played um, LaSalle. He was a thief. We went into the uh, keep on the borderlands and uh, everybody was telling me while I was spent like a half an hour rolling up my character and everybody was telling me about all the things that they had already done because this is a group of people that already been playing. And so uh, I think we went into cave C or something where there's a pit when you walk into the door and uh, I walked in and they said, you're the thief, go check it out. And of course (laughs) I did. I fell in the pit and died. (laughs) (laughs) Great game. Thanks guys. This is so much fun. I loved it. <laughs> well, that's a great way to start. You get that, you know, the whole angst of, of, well, when's my character going to die? What happens? Get it out of the way right off the gate, you know, right out of the gates. And it's easy from that point on it. Well, back then in, in old school D&D, yeah. you didn't have as many hit points or chances to, to live. It was a very <laughs> mortal game. Yeah, yeah, considerably more so than now. Yeah, I lost many a character. <laughs> Do you still uh, play with any of the, the folks that you started with? Um, well, I did for a while. My friend Jim, who was the one who introduced me to the game, uh, I still played with him up until he moved to Idaho a few years ago. But I have another friend who was a I got I was introduced to at the Dungeons and Dragons Club that I started in high school, and uh, I still play with him. He's still in my weekly game on Sundays uh, with my kids. Awesome! That's awesome. That is cool. That is cool. My. My um, I played with a bunch of different groups uh, before I I moved to this area, and I met a friend who kind of he was like um, he was like the 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 one who I got to know everybody else that I've been playing with for the past like thirty five years because of him, and I was I was coming back from buying comic books at a dairy mart, and it was nineteen eighty four, and it was over the summer, and I just moved in with my grandfather. And I was walking up the street with a bag of comic books and he was sitting up in a tree in his front yard and demanded a toll to pass by his house. <laughs> and I said, well, I could just cross the street. And uh, he jumped out of the jumped out of the tree, struck a martial arts pose. He was this little chubby kid, so it was comical, and then asked what I had in the bag and then looked in the bag and looked at all my Captain America comic books and said Spider-Man can beat Captain America. And we had a debate and then he said, do you want to play D&D? So that was pretty much how I ended up meeting everybody I'm playing with now. Bizarre, but um, I guess it was the 80s. So 
And then we spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of time in his basement playing D and D. That was some fun times. A Those couple were, of them. <laughs> Those yep. were some some good times. And I don't know why it's the basement. I have no idea. It's the biggest room in the house. Pro- yeah, yeah, it really is. I'm looking around Bill's basement, and it's like, yeah, you got a point. Well, it is now. Yeah. Well, this is my man cave, so you know, it's, this is the gaming yes. corner. The pool table's on the other side. The big screen TV's over there. You know, so. The basement is the man cave. The basement is the man cave. In fact, my daughter, who's an artist, made me a plaque for the for my the basement that said man cave with a little sword on it and everything. So let's talk about what I would say. I don't try to even figure out um, gaming stores and you know hobby shops and how they were so prevalent before, but now, especially with COVID, they're kind of dying out. Yeah, Mm. it's like they're in their death throes here. I don't know what it's like out your way, Dave, but I I can think of two um there's there's a a new comic book gaming shop that opened up in springfield they're thinking of opening a gaming restaurant you know where you can go and and play and get food to eat and stuff like that 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 was pre-covid and just before they were going to break ground type deal and that's kind of on hold and there's like two actual gaming shops that they game in in the area immediate area there's a lot more out towards boston we're in western massachusetts there's a lot towards Boston. There's a lot in the Hartford area. We're kind of in that that neutral zone in the middle where there's just not a lot here. In my in my area, there's really only there's a couple game stores, but as you say, uh, they have had it really rough. I mean, I have two really great stores near me that, uh, in, in fact, Chuck's Comics in Essex, Chuck's Comics in Essex. If you're in that area, go to it. Go check them out and support them. They are excellent. They have everything. They have all the collectible miniatures and uh, tons and tons of comics and a massive game area with all the latest stuff. And, uh, man, you talk about uh, they're struggling, and they've been around for 15 years. And I remember when he grew from a small shop up to a much larger one and expanded his area. And now COVID hits, and this guy who was doing great is struggling, and I really I'm worried about him. Oh yeah, we worry about all all our areas around, you know, the stores around in our area as well. And like you said, we got to support these local shops. But it's actually becoming harder and harder with, like Walmart now starting starting to carry uh, books and and mm-hmm. figures. Target is jumping in, into it. Um, Amazon's another one. So you know, I think yeah. these small stores are actually losing ground, which is a shame. The, it the online stuff is so convenient, you know, especially now. Yeah, it makes it tough to you know go out to a a brick and mortar place when more often than not you can't even get in the front door right yeah and, and if you do it's in it's out there's no gaming there's no groups there anymore and that and that was what held them together is everyone would come say. together and yep. you get your gaming group and a new book would come out one person would be talking about it you know next week oh, i'll bring some cash and i get a book and or another fig or some paints and you know you could support the shop a lot of different ways and it's become difficult to even go to the shop so it's tough to support them they were everywhere in the eighties and in the eight. Oh yeah, it's this immediate area had oh one two three four five six seven eight nine at least yeah within a fifteen mile radius of of where I live now. So I, I guess the important takeaway from this part, people, is to support your local game shops if you can. Yeah, I can. Yeah, you know, I can. Mistake, I, they got a website. Go to their website. Yeah. You know, yeah, Amazon might be a little cheaper. Walmart might be a little bit cheaper. But these guys are in your back, you know, backyard. Support these guys. It's worth a couple extra dollars. So with that said, we'll move on to um, how conventions and clubs. I know uh, you guys usually frequent the conventions. Mm-hmm. 
Um, how about you, Dave? How many conventions are, what conventions have you um, attended? Well, unfortunately, my, my convention schedule has got kaput. I was really struggling and wanting to go to Gary Con up until COVID hit. Um, I went to Scrum Con last year, and I uh, played uh, a game of D&D, uh, old-school D&D, with Zach Howard, which you might be familiar with. He is uh, the uh, one who runs the Xenopus Archives, uh, for the, which is based on Homes Basic, you know, and he reviews all of that. He has a ton of information. Xenopus Archives, just Google that. And uh, Zach Howard's got everything you want that's old-school in regards to the blue box set for Homes, which I've talked about on my channel several times already. Um, and then the last convention before that was Gen Con 2007. So unfortunately, my convention schedule isn't as heavy as I wanted. <laughs> now, is uh, is that where you fought the troll, the giant troll that mini? Is, that is where I fought the troll. Yes, and uh, it was a standoff. It was a little bit rough for a while, but um, he actually got 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 defeated. So I Yay. figured he lost because uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him around. But you keep putting out new uh, videos on YouTube, so. <laughs> Yeah, you won't be seeing him again. <laughs> what do you like about the conventions? I really enjoy just getting the opportunity to meet people from all over the country and seeing what different people are doing. You get to meet the creators of the games you play and, of course, the shops and getting to see all the cool stuff that's coming out. I mean, really, that's that's what really appeals about it to me. It's just the opportunity and to play a bunch of games. I wouldn't be playing Dread like I am if I hadn't played at the 2007 convention. If you guys ever played Dread, that's a great game. I never, never have. I We played some cool games at Gen Con. Uh, we went in, was it 2019? Yeah. Yeah, 2018, 2019. Um, that was that was a lot of fun for exactly those reasons you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like we played, we played purposely. We played a lot of stuff. We, you know, OSRs and Let's try. Hey, never played this game. Let's play this game. Let's give it a try. It's got a cool title. I don't know what the game's about, but it's got a cool title. Let's play that. And we had a blast. We had a blast. Dread is a great convention game because it's so self-contained. It's perfect for the one shot. If you've never played, it's basically the, the rule system is a Jenga tower, and any kind of game scenario, being a medieval one or a science fiction one or a horror one, will work for you as long as you have this isolation and horror aspect to it. So basically every time you try to do a task, if you want to succeed, you have to pull from the tower and your referee will tell you how many pulls that you have to do. Everybody's pulling from the same tower. So it gets more wobbly as the story gets more intense until somebody pulls and the tower falls and then your character is removed from the game, usually through a bloody and gory death. That actually sounds pretty fun. Uh, sounds you're like turning Jenga fun, into yeah. a role-playing game. I like it. We need to bring that with us we on need our to week be, long. Yep, yeah, we'll have we, to look that one up. Yeah, got to pick that up. It is on drive through RPG, so uh, you can pick it up there. It's pretty cheap. Now, did you win any conventions in like the 80s and 90s? Back in the heyday? Um, man, I used to go uh, to the... It wasn't technically a gaming convention, but it was a lot of games there, which was the Shore Leave, which is in the Towson area for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on actually, I think, Shore Leave 40-something at this point, but when I went, it was like uh, Shore Leave 6, 7, 8, 9, and uh, that's a Star Trek convention. Wow. So uh, I met George Takei there, which was a lot of fun. We uh, It was right before I went into the military, so I was in pretty good shape. George Takei runs two miles 
every single day. So he would get up in the morning and he would run around the convention center, which was a two mile run. So we all got up in the morning at seven o'clock to run with George Decay. And it was me. And there was about 20 other people there. And I was looking at these dudes and I'm thinking, man, they're not going to be making it. So it's kind of <laughs> cool. So at the end of the run, uh, it was just me and about two other people and George Takai just uh, BSing, you know, for, for good 10, 15 minutes. You don't get that kind of opportunity very, very often. That's cool. That's someone I would love to meet. And I'm a little disappointed they didn't do a Captain Sulu Star Trek TV series because I would have been all about that. Yeah, that, that was a missed opportunity. Huge. Let's talk about the boom of other tabletop uh, role-playing games. Yeah, I perfect opportunity, too, because I just listened to your Gangbusters video that dropped. And I remember that game vividly uh, back in the 80s. That was one of that that pile of games that TSR put out. It was, uh, what, Gangbusters and Top Secret, Star Frontiers. I love Star Frontiers. Of course, Gamma World. Gamma World. Yeah, I was big on Gamma World and Top Secret. I like those. That was that was the time in like the eighties and nineties. If you wanted to get into tabletop role playing games, that was you had a buffet line of of opportunities like Traveler, GURPS, mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu, Call yep. of Cthulhu. That's like in the sixth edition now or something. Seventh, seventh, seventh edition. It's crazy. The seventh edition has got the largest amount of deviation from the previous rules. I mean, for Call of Cthulhu editions one through six are pretty much the same with some minor additions and some better uh, publication and that kind of thing. But the uh, the the rules actually change significantly for the seventh edition and for the better. I might add. That's scary. I listen to these six, seven, fifth edition. I remember when they were all fourth edition when all these came out. I remember you know playing these at, at Gen Con back in the late eighties, early nineties. Hey, look at this brand new game. And uh now I watch you know, I look around, it's like it's on what edition? Really? I, I need to get back into that game. <laughs> Do you play any any other game? Are you are you a five E D and D guy or OSR? I am a five E D and D guy, not by choice. I mean, if I was going to really play the game that I wanted to play, it would probably either be Castles and Crusades or um uh, old school essentials, but since I have modern players in my game, younger players primarily, it's me, my my older friend Travis, my daughters, and two other younger people, and they're all into fifth edition. So you kind of got to go with what the players want in that regards if you want to have players. And I usually, up until pre-COVID, I was running two games yes. a week. I was running a game on Wednesday. I was running a game on Sunday, and both of them. My Wednesday game had eight players. My Sunday game had six, and uh, man, I, you know, I had a really nice group of younger players, men, uh, men and women both, uh, really great, really tremendous fun players, and we were having a blast. So uh, I really miss that. Yeah, that's the big thing we miss too is, you know, every Monday night we're down here every week, you know, between six to ten guys, and, non, you know, we have campaigns that go years and years and it's nice seeing the guys every single week and this whole covid thing happened and kind of messed things up a little bit just a little bit yeah now old school essentials that's the that's the hardcover ad and d clone is that 
Yeah, it's it's actually it's not um it's not an AD and D clone. It's a Maldvay Cook clone. All right. Now what he's done is um he has taken the power levels and the uh, basic outline for Maldvay Cook and scaled it for some advanced classes and some advanced races. So you can play advanced options, but use the rules from Maldvay Cook, and it he, he did a really great job blending it. That's got all that old school D and D looking artwork in it, doesn't it? If I'm thinking of the it right does. one, yeah, I, I did. A, I recently did a review on his latest uh, books. He came out with the Monsters and Treasure and the uh, Magic Items booklets for his advanced game. So it has all the advanced Magic Items and all the advanced uh, monsters that weren't in the in the Maldi Cook edition. So that was pretty cool. That's a that's a video on my channel, so you want to check that out. I'm gonna have to check that out tonight when I get home. Mm-hmm. Everybody should go check that out. Everybody should go. They, I agree. I agree. The nostalgia factor in in the stuff you put out is is awesome. So if there's like if there's any anybody who was playing D and D in the '80s or even earlier, checking out retro RPG reviews is 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 a must because I see stuff on there these these modules that that you um you feature that uh, uh, I forgot I even knew about. <laughs> and then I, you know, and then I remember, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, Castle of the Silver Princess, stuff like that. Yeah, the B, the B series, Palace of the Silver Princess, that was, that was, that was a very popular video I did. Everybody loved that. That had a lot. I really like doing the trivia too. I, I try to select modules that have some trivia associated with them so that they're interesting. Like, for example, the uh, Palace of the Silver Princess actually has two releases. There was a uh, first release that had uh, a format similar to B1 where the monsters and treasures weren't filled in and the, and the DM was expected to do it. And then a second release, which is completely filled in and completely done. And that's the one that was uh, um, that everybody knows about. The first one was also pulled after like 600 copies were sold because of some risque artwork in it. And uh, so Brian Bloom saw the artwork in the module and he's like, what the heck are we doing here? And he had the modules pulled. So there's all that, that one is one of those that if you see it at, um, at a convention or you see it on eBay, it, they want hundreds, if not a thousand dollars for the thing. Understandably. So that's, that's good old stuff there. Collector's item. Yep. yep. And I that's abused awesome. mine. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept them in their wrapper instead of like playing them over and over and over again and reading them and dragging them around in my backpack and <laughs> well, who would have known getting them dirty with my Cheetos fingers. Those are comic books and your, uh, and your baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we just went over, you know, we talked about the boom. Let's talk about the decline of D and D and uh, RPGs popularity. Yeah, we hit a dry spell for a couple decades, it seemed. Right around the mid-90s, it started sliding. I think there was a resurgence of this is not a really good game, it's not mentally healthy, and then that's, the, that's when the video game started really coming out strong, and I think that drew quite a bit of people away from the you know tabletop RPGs. I think one of the things about role-playing games, when you're talking about getting people involved in it, the thing that's most difficult is non-gamers don't have an idea of what it is. They can't really, like you could say, okay, this is Monopoly or this is Clue or whatever. Trying to explain a role-play game, nobody's ever perfected that at all in 40 years. 
Uh, but, you know, with the resurgence of the Internet, with YouTube and things like that, people can – all these podcasts that you see now, you know, Critical Role, but there's a whole bunch of others. Uh, people can see people actually playing the game, and they go, man, that looks like a lot of fun. And I think, you know, that has contributed a lot to the resurgence. Yes, there was a new addition, but I don't think that is as important as the fact of people being able to actually see – what uh, what the game is and what what is entailed in actually playing it? Yeah, excellent point. Yeah, and it has has gone a long way. You know, I think I think uh, Critical Role kind of makes D and D look sexy. You know, they're <laughs> like the rock stars of D and D. You know, the Chris Angels of of the RPG community. Kind of, there yeah. are some sexy nerds on that show. There, <laughs> there are people people really really like them, and then there's. You know, there's all these all these other YouTube channels that kind of lend to the popularity. I I think well, your channel and you know the acquisitions incorporated incorporated uh, podcast is great. Those are hilarious. If you've ever watched, they're really 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 fun. I've seen uh, a bunch of their games on YouTube uh, that were filmed at conventions. I think the decline kind of just kind of bottomed out there. I, I, I'll give a, a quick nod to, like, the Big Bang Theory became very, very yeah. popular. And they were always, in, early on, they were always talking about, we're going to play D&D, we're going to play D&D. And they kind of spoofed it a little bit at first. But then it, they got kind of serious about, you know, you'd start listening to some of the descriptions going, okay, these sound viable. And they had a whole episode one night with the girls got involved. And it was funny as hell, but... You know, I think that gave a little credence to the mainstream acceptability of D&D as well because here's a very, very popular show that everyone liked, and it's like, well, it's D&D. Um, they're playing it. I guess it can't be that bad. So, Also, Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yeah, right after thing. that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was huge. Like, Gorgon. Yeah, like, but I like to, um, I think it was you guys mentioned earlier, you know, Back in the early late '90s and early 2000s, you know, a lot of this stuff wasn't on the internet, and also I think there was at least a lot of the older people that preferred, you know, original AD and D and maybe second 2.5, but it came out with three 3.5. People were just not not as happy. I'd also point out that, especially like in the uh, at the beginnings of the internet, TSR was vicious in regards to threatening people who had websites that were supporting Dungeons and Dragons, if you recall that. I don't know if you mm. y'all remember that, but if you had like content where they where you talked about their game, their lawyers would tell you to shut it down. And I think that had a negative impact uh, when they definitely uh, had the wrong approach there. Uh, and it would definitely did not impact the game in a positive way. I think they hurt themselves more than they helped themselves. Yeah, they tried to be proprietary, and it's, it was the wrong venue for that. It, if anything, they should have supported it. It would have bolstered the popularity free advertising and, and, and maybe they wouldn't have folded up yeah yeah you're right free advertising so, but. well i actually did a uh, pretty in-depth discussion on what caused tsr to fold up and uh, that was primarily due to mismanagement with other things not related to dnd uh they had uh created their uh was the spellfire game and their dragon dice and the book industry has a thing where unsell, unsold inventory uh, can actually be returned back to the publisher. And then that cost gets uh, sent back to the uh, to the publisher themselves. So uh, they had low cash on hand 
and they had a significant number of returns due to the the um, poor sell, uh, sales of Spellfire and Dragon Dice. And then that and the other mistake they made, which was a very bad mistake, is they still had a Random House doing their publishing rather than to, uh, and they were large enough at that point in time to have taken on the publishing responsibilities themselves, and they never did it. And then, uh, so Random House had the printing plates for their Dungeon Master's Guide and their Player Handbook and their Monster Manual and all that kind of stuff. So they had all that money that they owed for the uh, returns. They couldn't pay because they had no cash on hand. So Random House basically um, held their publishing plates hostage and wouldn't let them pl- uh, print any books. So if you're a publisher, if you're a game publisher, and you can't print books, you're out of business. Pretty yep. much. And that's when Wizards of the Coast came in, paid off their debts, and uh, took over uh, took over TSR. Well, let's talk about the D and D Renaissance. Yay! Yeah, Yay. <laughs> it's, it's a good time to be a gamer. Um, yes, it is. It's it's a very good time to be a gamer. I don't know. It just kind of sort of happened for me anyway. I was cruising around YouTube trying to figure out how to use it, and I went down the YouTube rabbit hole, and all of a sudden, there's all these D and D YouTube channels just like in their infancy, and uh, I'm hearing about the old school renaissance from people like uh, Ben over at Questing Beast and, and your channel and um, these uh, these guys in a basement called Nerdarchy are reviewing the new new edition of D&D and DM Scotty's over there building terrain pieces and all these other guys are doing the same thing and it's become this, I don't know, this rebirth of this this wonderful old game all of a sudden and now all these young people are getting involved, which is great. Oh, yeah, I'd like to see young people come back. I mean, nothing nothing survives unless you get new people in Yeah, and have them. I, I, I sit at work, and I'll be in the break room on one side, and i got kids on the other side. And I'm, I say kids because 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, I'm ancient, so they're kids. And I hear them talking, and they're talking about gaming and 5th edition and what this character did and what that character did. And I just sit there and I smirk. I, sm- I don't say a word. I just let them have their conversation. You know, I'm not part of it. And, they sound uh, like the conversations we used to have. Yes, and that's exactly it. You know, you get this wash of nostalgia. Like I said, it's like I remember saying almost the same thing to my exactly. buddies. It's like this is freaking awesome. So yeah, it's it, it's it's fun to watch it come back around and with much more acceptance now. Uh, I said a few years ago that it, it, it's as big now as it was back in the 80s and it's and it's you know late 70s 80 early 80s and it's heyday but for different reasons back then it was hugely popular but it had a negative connotation associated with it now it's positive across the board and i think now i said that a few years ago now i i can very easily say it's larger now than it's ever been and it's good to see i mean we went to gen con just a couple of years ago and i'm like wow i haven't seen numbers like this since 1990 you know, when 95,000 people showed true. up in one day and, it, and it's like, oh yeah, well we, you know, we had a hundred something thousand today. I'm like, that, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's a sea of people. And it's like this, this is the rebirth of the, of the whole RPG and tabletop gaming and gaming in general. Cause now there's so much more that you can do on tabletop than, than there ever was. And you know, you I also was, have things like roll 20 and fantasy grounds. Yeah. Uh, where even if you can't get a group of people 
to gather at your house, you can, through various uh, web pages or whatever, connect with other gamers that want to play and make friends all over the country, all over the world, and have them play in your game. And that's a unique opportunity as well with a really great graphical interface with that Fantasy Grounds has or uh, Roll20 has. I use Fantasy Grounds myself. Actually, I use Fantasy Grounds at my game, uh, my live game because I have a flat screen TV and I like to project maps and sometimes like props, like letters and stuff like that. I can just project them up onto the screen. You can even run combats on it, uh, which is really great. The way the, uh, the software uh, has a combat tracker, keeping track of hit points and all of rounds and keeping track of monster statistics and all the spells and everything are like right there at your fingertips, like with D and D beyond too. Uh, you can just write from your phone. You can look up any spell instantly. Uh, you don't even have to worry about trying to page through a book or what have you. You can just type the name of the spell, and there it is. So uh, that certainly facilitates play, and especially for younger players who are tech-savvy. Uh, that certainly feeds into the, uh, the attractiveness of the game because they're staying up-to-date with the tech, and that also uh, – allows more people to want to play because it's not as hard as it used to be with, with these books that you had to read and all that kind of stuff. Tell us about the old school Renaissance, the OSR. Well, the OSR has been around for a while and it primarily came about due to, uh, the, uh, uh, the licensing, uh, allowances with, uh, third edition. And somebody got the bright idea, and I think it was, uh, and I'm and his name is losing me, the, uh, from Labyrinth Lord and Osric. They both, I think, were the very first to take the licensing, uh, the open gaming license from third edition, and then make a, a complete old school. Because uh, before drive through RPG and before a lot of uh, PDFs were widely available, the only books you could get were the original books, like the World Cyclopedia and the AD&D books, and they were becoming rare and few and far between, and people couldn't get these old-school books and look at these old-school rules, and so they made them uh, available again through the open gaming license. You could just get them published through print-on-demand. And then uh, it just kind of took off from there, and you had a lot of people. There's a lot of different ways and a lot of different versions of uh, uh, of playing old-school D&D, kind of like with little homebrew brew rules in. Uh, there's a couple couple good ones. Uh, like like I said, there's uh, Labyrinth Lord, Osric, uh, um, Old School Essentials, and uh, uh, Lamentations of the Plain Princesses is a little bit out there and weird, but it's pretty cool. And uh, so a whole bunch of other. There's a, and then there's more than that. What do you think makes it so popular? It's easy. It's simple. Uh, it, it's um, not as complicated to get into as say, I, I, everybody talks about how easy D and D five E is. I don't think it's that easy. I think it's a pretty complex game. I think old school games are way easier to understand and play uh, because the character options are so limited. I mean, with fifth edition, it's a great game and I, and I, I love it. I'm not knocking the game at all, but I do think that a lot of the people get overwhelmed with the options so you have so many different races and so many different character classes and uh, so many different combinations. And on the internet, they have these builds that you can make and people are trying to find certain builds with old school. You're a fighter, a cleric, a wizard or a magic user, an elf, a dwarf or a halfling. And then you just 
pick up, make up your character. It takes maybe 10 minutes and you start playing. And uh, I know that I've played a couple OSR games for my group, for my 5e group. They weren't ready to like, okay, this is what we want to do for the campaign, but they had a good time with it. They enjoyed how simple it was. I think you hit the nail on the head is the simplicity. You know, we played a couple OSRs at a number of conventions and you walk in cold. Uh, I, I, they said the title of the, the uh, adventure caught our eye. Let's, all right, let's play that. Here's the rules. Okay, 10 minutes later, we're off and running. Uh, if yeah. you enjoy role-playing, rules is just a, a, a light framework to deal with when you get into combat. <laughs> Role-play the crap out of it, and you'll have fun. They tend to be uh, cost-effective, too, I've noticed. I picked up a few uh, print-on-demand from drive Through RPG, and they're really very, very cost-effective. Yeah, Swords and Wizardry is, an other, uh, is another good one, too. Uh, Swords and Wizardry is basically a uh, com- combination or, of original Dungeons and Dragons. So that's the other thing too. Uh, certain uh, OSRs cater towards a certain rule set. So, uh, like Swords and Wizardry is original D and D, the, the uh, little brown booklets. Uh, Labyrinth Lord is actually Maldve Cook uh, combined, and Osric is basically. Uh, that's old school reference and index compendium, I think is what it is. And that is actually a um, first edition Dungeons and Dragons reprinted. So that's the tact. And then each rule set itself may have little variations on those little rules. So that's how detailed and weird it can get. Everyone's got to add their little flavor, but that's fine because that's, that's what makes them attractive. Absolutely. Yep. So tell, how'd you start? the YouTube channel? What was like the, the catalyst for that? Well, that's a good question. Uh, really, I was, I was just looking for something to do. I mean, I, I, I keep on hearing people talk about old school you know, on YouTube uh, and different YouTubers, and I, I love those guys, but a lot of them are younger, and they were getting it wrong. <laughs> you know, they, weren't, they, they, they didn't know the history. They didn't know the trivia. And, I like, and I'm a trivia guy. I mean, I run, I'm a DJ. I run three trivia games a week. Right? I'm a tr- I know trivia. And so um, it just drove me crazy that, that, that they were getting the history wrong. They didn't know why uh, certain things happened in the because they had no contest. They weren't even alive at that time, right? And I lived it. I was like, man, I, I would love to do a, a YouTube channel where I just kind of go over and, and give, give some insights into this so that it would be like a, someone could look back at that and say, okay, there's the insight. I've, I've actually recorded my knowledge. I'm here. I, I've been playing for 40 years, and I, I wanted to put my knowledge out there and share it with people so it would be there for people to look at. That's one thing that, that's really, really attractive about about your channel is there's you get you get that nostalgia, but you also get the background behind it, which which is really, really interesting. And it explains a lot because, you know, a lot of the time, well, it just disappeared. You know, what happened to it? Why? Or how did this come to be? And uh, that's what's what's really, really interesting. Sometimes I know some of it and forgot I knew it. Uh, I find that a lot with just about everything now. Um <laughs> So it's really cool to hear hear the background on on all these things. Questing Beast did a really interesting series because he's a younger guy, and uh, he did. A, I I haven't seen if he completed it, but I know he started it. Where he was just reading the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide from cover to cover, which was 
hilarious from my perspective because there were certain passages or things that he would read and he would like, they really did it this way back then, you know, cause you know how Gary's prose was, you know, and how he would say certain things with, with such authority, almost, you know, they would never do it these days. You know, they would never say it that particular way uh, these days. But back then Gary was like, you know, this is the way you do it. This is how it's done. And, you know, uh, these players, if they're going to do this kind of thing, you've got to punish them. You know, <laughs> that's why I get along with him so well. <laughs> the same way. It does it cracks me up though? But I mean, I think there's a you know when you when you read Gary Gary Gygax when you read him, you got to get him a little bit. There's a certain tongue in cheek humor to the things he says, and I think a lot of people take the things he says too literally. Uh, you know, when he's talking about uh, why you shouldn't play. Um, a monster in the D and D game. He's not wrong, it dep- and it really depends on your, on your your campaign. If you're playing a campaign where I'm an elf and I'm a human and I'm a paladin and you're a thief and that kind of stuff, and this person wants to play a uh, a, a a dire wolf or something, right, or 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 a centaur, even, you got to ask yourself, how is that guy going to interact in the towns? How is he going to navigate through the dungeons and how he's going to do all those different things in the context of the campaign? Conversely, if you had an all monster campaign, that would be the time to do that. But it's not always appropriate to play a weird ass monster if you're in, in, in a primarily traditional game, if, if you get what I'm saying. We've had to deal with it a number of times. There's always that one guy. There's always that one, our contrarian. <laughs> when, uh, now, there's a picture of you and Gary Gyjax. Again, uh, in the intro to your to your uh, episodes. So, did you have the opportunity to actually interact with them? Not really. I mean, we had you know just the cordial small talk that you would have when you have a uh, photo option like that. There was a, a line of people. Obviously, it wasn't a ridiculously long line. I think I only waited twenty minutes to get my turn. Um, but he was really cool. And one of the things I remember was you know I kind of thought. You know, this is 2007 because he and he died several months after that. But I remember thinking that he didn't look like he felt very well, but he was still like, you know, soldiering through, and he would generally get energy from the people that he talked to, and uh, everybody he talked to, he said something different. He didn't have like a canned response that he was saying, and he would pick up on things that uh, people said, and he would have a conversation on that. And he did the same thing with me. Um, so I thought that was really cool that a guy that's been going to conventions and interacting with people for as long as he had could still have so much fun with it. Yeah, that is, uh, that is pretty cool. I just think I can't imagine what it's like for people to line up to, uh, to speak with you. You know, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a pretty, pretty cool feeling. People line up to speak with me only when they're pissed off about something. (laughs) (laughs) They only line up to talk to me when they want something. So, so you're, you're running your games, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I think I've, I don't think I've had the opportunity to play more than once or twice in the last, you know, 10 years. It's, it's a very rare that I get the opportunity to play. Yeah. I feel I'm not your pain. About that. Yeah. I know. That's awful. I, I'm dealing with the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's one, I've been game mastering for decades and I come down one Monday and said, okay, we got two more sessions for this particular uh, story arc, uh, story arc, and uh, when I'm done, I will not be game mastering anymore. Someone needs to pick up the table. Uh, if you want to show up, go ahead and show up, but I will not be game mastering. Figure it out, and they all just jaws drop because Bill's been 
game mastering for 20, 30 years. And, and then all of a sudden they just announced I am no longer game mastering. And my jaw didn't drop. I just took a step back. I think you hid behind the bar. Uh, Scott was, was gracious enough. And a, a few people, you know, spot here and there, you started game mastering, but, uh, Scott really stepped forward quite a bit, and his play style was very attractive to everybody, and um, now he's screwed. <laughs> I was going to say entrenched, but yeah. <laughs> that too. He's entrenched as our game master right now. What's your uh, What's your DM style like? Mine? Uh, I'm very open. Um, I generally will say, okay, uh, guys, this is kind of like what I want to run. Are you all interested in doing this? And I'll see if anybody's interested. And if not, then I do something else. But if they are, then I'll say, okay, go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and create some characters and we'll kind of have like a session zero. And, you know, I might have a starting point. You know, I try to, my, my, my feeling is after you spend all that time with going over character backgrounds and doing all that kind of stuff, I'm starting with a combat right in the middle. And then uh, introducing some dungeon that they can go see. And while they're doing all of that, I'll start throwing things at them that they might want to explore. And then we'll, I'll just kind of like play it off the cuff. And then I'll develop the things that they gravitate to. And the things that they don't gravitate, gravitate to, I might put in the back of my mind. That might be a parallel storyline that happens in the background. Because there's things happening in the world that don't have anything to do with them. And that may come back and bite them in the butt later on. <laughs> so uh, I, I try to I try to just keep it dynamic, and I, I try to keep some notes. So my favorite thing to do is you know go back over my notes and look at all the NPCs that they talked to and interacted with that they probably didn't think too much about, and develop a story on that NPC that is integral to the thing that they're doing. And that that is uh, kind of interesting. And either they can either be a villain or they can be an ally or what have you. But by doing that, I'm never bored. I'm never I'm never finding myself uh, if I find myself stuck for a storyline or or what am but what am I going to do this session? I look at my notes and then I look at an NPC and or or I look at something that happened and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot that they did that. I need to bring that up again. And then and I'm off. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of the organic creation. You just let it. Just let it happen, and you let your players lay out. You know, all the they'll give you all the Easter eggs you need to to keep a system going. Absolutely. Yep. Or they'll act like a bunch of kids that just had way too much sugar <laughs> while you were gone. <laughs> they'll be all over the place. Sometimes that'll happen. I think us grognard DMs, those of us have been doing it so long, kind of gravitate towards that freestyle play because we're confident with it. There's, we've we've already done so much already. Whereas your your newer DMs are a little bit scared actually because they're like, oh, what if this player does something and I don't have a plan for it? You know, yeah. And they're a little bit worried about what's going to happen. Uh, so they tend to go with more of a railroady kind of kind of game whereas i'm like totally off the rails i don't know what's going to happen and in fact i don't want to know what's going to happen because then i can be surprised too you know that's the fun yeah you develop that skill of ad-libbing so it's it's almost it's almost like it's an easier thing for you to just uh come up with a couple bullet points for the session and, and then and then let it ride so i ran uh keep on the shadow fell for the first thing, which is a fourth edition module, actually. And the uh, magic item in there was supposed to be some dish or something that uh, Calarelle the Vile was looking for, and there was a little encounter involved with that. I turned that into the Horn of Orcus. 
because I thought that was way more interesting for Calarel the Vile was supposed to be opening up this uh, rift into the Shadowfell and calling forth all these undead. And obviously, an, uh, the Horn of Orcus would be way more useful to do that than some random thing that didn't matter in the story. It was just a MacGuffin. So they he he was wearing the Horn of Orcus and calling up the uh, the opening up the uh, Shadowfell Rift and the combat happened and one of the characters had acquired an item that allowed them to summon an owlbear. It didn't allow them to control the owlbear. It allowed them to bring it on board from wherever it was in the local area. Which they were like, how are we going to make use out of this? So they, the things are intense and everything's crazy. One of the characters uh, just says, okay, we're going to die. Get the owlbear. So they threw out the owlbear out there and um, I rolled randomly to see who he would attack and he actually went after Calarel the Vile, knocked him into the Shadow Rift after rending him with two natural 20s, uh, which I rolled out in the open. It was great. And the table went wild, and then he disappeared into the Rift. And so then, um, several months in real time, well, it was also several months in game time, They this is where I twist things, because you expect Calarel will be back. But no, Calarel was ripped to shreds. He's dead. But the Owlbear with the Horn of Orcus made an appearance several months later, uh, uh, wreaking horror and terror across the forest, and they had to go, oh, we're responsible for that. We're going to have to go do something, which is pretty funny. So what's your uh, what's your uh, campaign now? I am actually running Tal'Dori. Uh, I'm running oh. a, uh, uh, a Tal'Dori campaign, which is Matt Mercer's campaign from yep. Critical Role. And um, I have that set up taken place five years after uh, Vox Machina. If you're familiar with that story, there was the Chroma Conclave Mm -hmm. and Vox Machina defeated the five dragons, right? So uh, I I picked up on the fact that uh, the uh, Thordak, the the Thunder King, had left all these lizard men just like hanging after he got killed because he had promised them that he was going to return their civilization to its former glory, and now he's dead. So um, I decided I, I ran the uh, um, module with uh, explicit Ophilus, and I was thinking maybe she has. And there's a mention in the guide of another uh, goddess, a Maledicta Hexo. And I say, what if they're sisters? You know, I said. What if there's? What if they decided to grab, grab these lizard men that Thordak left hanging and promise them the same thing? And they have this ability through the Azure Scrolls to mind control people and charm them into worshiping them. That that would be pretty. That would be like Game of Thrones level kind of thing. But instead of undead, you can charm people. They fight them. They get defeated, and now these people are charmed, worshiping this goddess. What that happen? And then I said, okay, wait a second. <laughs> what if it's – I always like to do things in uh, threes, so I created a third one on my own called Insidia Tyrannus. So now it's these three sisters worshiping Yig, uh, the serpent god, and they're, they're, they're his daughters. And now they are wreaking havoc on, on Tal'Dorei and the characters are – now this is – this is literally three years of game where I just told you. <laughs> it, it came around gradually. They're all like now, but it came around gradually uh, where they are now realizing that three sisters, and they actually defeated one. They killed um, uh, Insidia Tyrannus, and they still have to face Maledicta Hexos. And they also killed uh, uh, Explicit Phylus, but they didn't realize that you had to uh, uh, cast a wish spell so the spirit wouldn't come back. So she came back. So uh, there, the, the 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 
third one that they killed, they actually knew about the wish spell at that point in time, and they did the wish, which was great. Uh, so now they that's where we're at with that. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, we, we were, we're COVID kind of slowed things down a little yeah. bit. Uh, so yeah. uh, it's, it's not going as, as quickly as it was, but we're still playing. I think any, any gaming is better than none at all. Absolutely. That's probably the only silver lining from COVID is the, the uptick in the online gaming. Yeah. You know, with where, like you said, you, you can actually game with people all around the world. Not necessarily, not necessarily just the people in your town. I just hope, it doesn't get too convenient. You know, there's there's nothing better than sitting around uh, a table. You know? I, I think the precedence has already been set. I think people are going to be doing a lot more remote gaming than anything now because that's what the norm is going to be. I personally yeah. don't think that online gaming will take things over. There's something about when you sit there and you roll the dice and a 20 comes up and the entire table goes wild and goes, yeah, and everybody's screaming. You can't get that online. You know, you just no, can't get that same... Can't. Right. Same feeling online with, 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 with that interaction and that intensity. I mean, like, it's just so amazing uh, when people are all into it and the story's going along and so, and the entire table is feeling this emotion. I don't think you can – I played online. I've DM'd online because of COVID, and I just didn't get that. And then I went back and was, was doing live table games again, and I went, wow, you just can't get this feeling any other way. Right, but I think that's because um, we're from the older generation. I was going to say it's the, the same newer thing. generation that uh, is going to start gravi- gravitating towards the online gaming because that's what they do now. You know, when they sit in front of their consoles with their friends, and you know that's what they do. Yep. Um, I have a couple of friends who are new DMs who basically got into it with Fifth Edition, and they prefer that. I and I've talked to them, and I've asked them the question, and they prefer. And I, I don't, I haven't taken like a large scale survey, so this is not scientific in any way. But they have, they said that they enjoyed, uh, they preferred tabletop over online. And you know, it's kind of weird. The, the other thing is, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a DJ, so I have a lot of public face in my, as part of my career. And because I'm on Facebook and in a public way, a lot of people have got onto the fact that I play Dungeons and Dragons. So at my my gigs, I have become the sage dungeon master that people come to and ask me for advice and how to handle things. It's like really, it's it's uh, it's kind of kind of cracking me up to have. Yeah, I I saw that you had that YouTube channel, and, and some some of my friends said you're a really great dungeon master, and they asked me some legit questions, and I try to give them the best advice that I can, but it just kind of kind of funny. I feel like I'm a Tibetan guy up in the mountains that people are coming to see. <laughs> And that's what it was like living in the history of the greatest RPG of all time, Dungeons & Dragons. Make sure you head on over to RPG Retro Reviews on YouTube and check out Dave's channel for his reviews of old school Dungeons & Dragons and other game systems. And always, may your D20 roll true and game on. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.